good morning, church. How are y'all doing? Good, good, good. I am so excited. I, I say this every time I get the opportunity. Um, I will forever be thankful. Thanks, fellas. I will forever be thankful that Pastor Randy and Pastor Darla give me this opportunity. I don't take it lightly. Um, it's Christmas, and that's my favorite time of year. I'm going to go ahead and admit something to you. I have always had 2020 vision, and I've just, I'm not going to tell you how old I am because that's none of your business, but um, in the last little bit, I've noticed I can't see books. I can't see my computer screen. My husband's like, you need to go to the doctor. I said, well, if I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me my vision's not 2020 anymore. So I want it to stay 2020. He's like, Amber, that's not how it works. So I went to Walgreens where they have those cheater glasses, and I found the ones that can help me read. So I will be taking these dumb things on and off throughout this service. I apologize if that's distracting, but look, I'm working through some things here, okay? Um, okay, so I'm, I'm excited. This I want a little interaction with you right now um, because it's Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Um, those who know me know that I start decorating for Christmas in October. You're like, you're one of those. I'm like, yep, I am one of those. If you don't like it, don't come over till December. Like, we love Christmas. But because my kids are grown, um, I'm more sentimental this time of year than I normally am. And so I want to ask this question of you. Raise your hand if you can remember in your entire lifetime the most special gift that you've received. Raise your hand if you can think of it. There's a lot of them, but if you're like, oh, I remember... Does anybody raise your hand high? Okay, we got a few of you. All right, well, I, I put this poll on Facebook and I got quite a few responses. I got quite a few DMs. I don't know why people didn't want, their, they're like, I don't want my answer on your Facebook, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. I also got texts and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to share some of the answers I got because they were really awesome. Um, lot, what was amazing to me is they were all attached to super sentimental stories. There were quite a few engagement rings. There were quite a few people who had a kid right around Christmas. Um, if you're born at Christmas time and your birthday falls at Christmas, I know as a little kid, that's really hard. I'm sorry, but it's okay. Um, there were one of, okay, there was a lot of easy bake ovens. <laughs> like grown people, like my favorite gift I ever got was an easy bake oven. Now, if you've ever been a parent of a recipient of an easy bake oven and you've had to eat that food, it's awful. <laughs> it's like worse than Jack in the box. Like it's awful. And Hayden one year got two Easy Bake Ovens for Christmas. Like we did not communicate with family very well that Christmas. And I said, well, we can take one of them back. And she goes, no, I'm gonna open a restaurant. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and her dad's way better of a person than me because he ate all, it tastes like, like sawdust and chalk, it's awful. And so um, there was actually one story I wanna share with you. A lady named T Tiffany Patterson said, an Easy Bake Oven. But she said, when I was 20, and my sister was 16, because my parents couldn't afford to get us one. Dumb, okay. My parents couldn't afford to get us one when we were young, and it was something we really wanted back then. In the end, it was the fact that my parents never forgot about it, and it represented their financial freedom. So at 20 years old, she got an easy bake oven. And I'm like, well, you could have also got a real oven if you wanted to at that age. Um, there were... Uh, Jeff Williams, what do you think he wanted? He wanted a gun. He got a gun. That was Officer Jeff, is a gun, of course, yeah, you know. There were um, quite a few just precious, like a Singer sewing machine, and I became a quilter later on in life. 
There were a lot of really sweet ones. One of my favorite ones that somebody sent me was that uh, Cabbage Patch. If you are younger than me, you probably missed the Cabbage Patch era of crazy. Um, This was before social media. This was before uh, internet. This was when all you saw was commercials and you got the JCPenney's and the Sears and the Toys R Us catalogs. How many of y'all remember that? Laying on the floor and circling what you're, like, this is what I'm going to tell Santa I want. And then your sister or your brother would circle something you want and you would punch them because you're like, get different color ink. He's going to get confused, you know. And so Cabbage Patch was all the craze. Well, in our little town, there was a girl in my class whose mom got in a fight on Black Friday Made the news, she got a black eye. She was on the TV, y'all, for fighting over a cabbage patch. Christmas passes, and we're back in school, and she brings that bad boy to show and tell. Her mom was like, this is back when moms were like gangsters on Black Friday. You know, they're fighting over cabbage patches. So somebody said a cabbage patch. I'm like, oh, I remember that. And then my other friend, Corey, she said chicken and dumplings. Her grandparents couldn't afford to buy gifts for the grandkids, so every Christmas they would make big pots, Christmas Eve, a big pot of chicken and dumplings. And I'm like, well, that that sounds like a pretty amazing gift. What I love was everything that people said was circled around family and memories. And I thought thought to myself, I wonder if people can remember the worst gift they've ever gotten. So I didn't want to post that on social media because people feel like they want to be Facebook warriors. And they want to, like, attack people. And they're like, the worst gift was such and such president. And it's like, oh, that wasn't for Christmas. Stop, you know. And so I was like, I'm not going to put it out there. But I'm going to reach out. And I'm going to ask some friends. And so I did. I asked some friends. And what was so amazing was most of them could not remember the worst gift they've ever gotten. Isn't it amazing that when it comes to the spirit of giving, negativity kind of goes out the door. But I did see on social media where a gift that I think every mom in this room would agree was a bad gift. You probably saw this floating around. It says, Mary, exhausted having just gotten Jesus to sleep, is approached by a young man who thinks to himself, what this girl needs is a drum solo. And I'm like, yes, yes. Okay, so in thinking, and I hope that like this stirs up conversation between you and your family over lunch or you and your friends over lunch about, you know, what, what brings back those memories. But This season, we know it's about Jesus. It's Jesus' birthday, and we've got some of these answers. That You know, the best thing I ever got for Christmas was Jesus, and you know, whatever. But have you ever thought, I thought about this the other day, because historically, even though this is not really when he was born, this time of year, it's when we celebrate. And if it's technically his birthday, what would he want? And I started thinking about it. And really just started wondering, Lord, what would you want? And I think a lot of times, especially in North America, we think because we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we accept the fact he died on the cross for our sins, that that is a gift he would want. Honey, that's a gift to you. That's not a gift to him. Okay, he died for us. Accepting that is not doing him any favors. That's for us. But I just, I really started thinking about it. And I decided we're gonna camp today in one chunk of scripture. We're not going to be all over the place. So if you're uh, somebody who likes to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm going to read from the Amplified. Um, So if you're on your phone, you can jump to, or computer at home, you can jump to Amplified, but you can follow along really in any translation, starting in verse 36, um, Luke 7, and it goes like this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee, and he reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with perfume. Now, when Simon, the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he replied, teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more? Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning towards the woman, he, Jesus, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him begin saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to this woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace, free from the distress, experienced because of sin. Now, you may say to yourself, oh, I know this story. Because historically, a lot of Bible stories in the Gospels are repeated, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, there is a similar story told. But I want you to understand that the three stories, the story told in those three books is different than the story here. Where people get it confused was because Jesus was at another man named Simon's house. He was Simon the leper. It was somebody that Jesus had healed from leprosy. They were in a region called Bethany. And there was a woman whose name was Mary. Theologians believe that she was Mary, Lazarus' sister. And it said that she broke an alabaster jar and poured expensive oil or nard on his head. And it was in preparation for his death. This was following the triumphal entry of Jesus right before he died. And the people at the table began to talk. What are you doing? Why are you wasting that? Predominantly Judas, of course, right? Go Judas. He was like, we could sell that and make a lot of money. And Jesus rebuked them. She, what she was doing was preparing him for what was about to happen. But people confused the two stories. Preachers have even confused the two stories. It's not the same. Because they, he is at a Pharisee's house in Galilee. 
thanks, thank God for Google, I, I looked it up. Galilee and Bethany are a two-and-a-half-day walk, which nobody's walking anywhere for two-and-a-half days on purpose, right? But it's a two-and-a-half-day walk from each other. It was also in a different season of Jesus' ministry. What we're talking about today was towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Bible also doesn't name the lady. Many people call her, they also call her Mary because many theologians believe that it was Mary Magdalene, the prostitute who had encountered Jesus and then came into this house and poured oil on his feet. Now, if you're like me and you're, you're probably thinking, why was she there? I don't know about you, but if I invited you over to my house for dinner and then I look around and there's people that aren't supposed to be there, there I'm going to want to know why. Like, what, what are they doing here? So I, I, I looked it up. There's actually a whole commentary on it um, by Daryl L. Bach. He says that at special meals, the door was left open so uninvited guests could enter, sit by the walls, and hear the conversations. So when a rabbi... A teacher was invited into someone's house. First of all, the people that could afford to invite the rabbi were special. So to invite a rabbi into your home, it was custom to leave the door open so other people who wanted to hear the teaching of the rabbi could come in and stand along the walls. I still think that's weird. Everybody's sitting there eating. And I'm like, do you give them a biscuit? Like, what are you, do you pretend like they're not there? I have questions. I can't find answers. But this one, like, Y'all, that's weird. I don't care who you're. Be like, no, I think that's really normal. Well, your house is weird if that's normal. But this woman who was a known sinner, I want to I explain that. Everybody's a sinner. But to be a known sinner meant she repeated the offense often. She lived in sin. A person can tell a lie, but a person who continues to lie is what? A liar. It's a continuous thing that she was doing. It was known throughout the town. She had a reputation. People talked about her, and it wasn't positive. I want you to get that. So in in looking at this story, I want to talk today about, there's really three types of people at the table, but I want to talk about two. And I want us to all look at where we fall into that. I'm not saying you're a Pharisee. You might be. I'm not saying you are. I'm also not saying that you're a prostitute or a sinner. You might be. I'm not saying you are. But I will say that when we look at the characteristics of how they respond, we all can find that we fall into this place. And I think it's important for us to stop and go, okay, where do I land and what is Jesus' response? So the two different types of people. Number one, we have the Pharisee. Pharisees. He's a Pharisee leader, not just a Pharisee. Pharisees are historically known to be religious, legalistic, arrogant, and rude. The Bible doesn't say what his motives were in having Jesus there because it was in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was teaching. Maybe he was like, I want to know what this guy's all about. Maybe he saw that everybody was interested in Jesus and he thought it would look good on him to have Jesus in his home. Maybe he had questions. Maybe he was open to learning. The Bible doesn't say, but what it does say is that he opened his home for Jesus to come and teach. And then there was a woman who was publicly known as a sinner. So someone who either 
forgot that they had sin in their life. Maybe he pretended like he didn't have sin or because he was a leader, assumed that he was above it all because he understood the law. He was religious. And then someone who understood that in the middle of it all, she was broken and defeated. There was nothing to hide. That's the two types of people we're looking at today. Both people wanted something from Jesus. Someone who benefited from him being the host of such an extraordinary teacher. A public figure, a fi- uh, figure, figure, that's not a word. A public figure drawing attention to what he was doing. Don't think for a second that Simon wasn't benefiting from Jesus being there. People were showing up to listen. It looked good on Simon. And then someone who received a lot of attention for poor choices, but she didn't pretend that she was anything but what she was. And she showed up anyway. But this is what really stood out to me. There were three significant cultural expressions that were ignored by Simon, but picked up by this woman. Number one, Jesus' feet were not washed. They walked everywhere in sandals. Nobody jumped in their pickup truck and drove across town. They walked. And so what was culturally expected and correct is when a guest comes into your home, you either offer a bowl of water for them to wash their feet or you wash their feet for them. But obviously this man who invited Jesus, somebody important in, he wasn't worried about Jesus' feet. That tells me he was worried about himself. Then number two, he didn't offer a kiss of greeting. Now I know what you cowboys are thinking. I ain't kissing no man. Okay, it's a cultural thing. They didn't make out. It wasn't like that. He did not greet him. Maybe it was a hug, a high five. Obviously, whatever that, he did not do that. And number three, it was also very culturally accepted for just normal oil to be anointed. That did not happen. And yet a woman who was standing on the wall, she wasn't invited to the table, standing on the wall, did all three of those things. The Pharisee, his presentation and gift were more about himself. This woman, it was all about Jesus. I want you to get this. She didn't have a feast to offer him. She didn't have a table presentation for him to sit at. She wasn't even a guest in the story. She was a bystander hoping to have access. And yet, she treated him with greater respect. He wasn't honest with his feelings, but she was. In verse 39, it says, he thought it. Now, when you look at the other three accounts of the other story, they were all running their mouth. What's he doing? What's she doing? But verse 39 says, he thought to himself. So he wasn't rude. Now, some of you and me, I'm that way too, our faces say everything. We don't have to say anything with our mouths. It's like, I know what you're thinking. I'm like, oh, you only know a little bit of it. There's a whole lot more up there that you don't know about. (laughs) He thought it. He thought it. But what he thought, he said in. What she thought, she acted on. One was holding on to control of life while the other was ready to give it up. Matthew, Mark, and John, all three of those accounts were about a woman who broke a vial of expensive perfume preparing Jesus for death. Luke is about a woman who broke a vial of expensive perfume 
preparing for death, but it wasn't Jesus's. It was her own. She had reached a place in her life, friend, where she was over the brokenness. She was over the hate. She was over the fear. She was over the poor choices. And she was ready to take what was intended for the burial process to die to self. This is powerful. She poured everything she had of value onto the feet of the one and only who saw and determined her value. I want y'all to get this. Everybody in town knew who she was. They all knew what she was about. And I promise you, if social media would have existed during that time, there would have been stuff all about her everywhere. You don't think she heard it? You don't think she walked past people in Kroger and people were like, oh, there she is? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, girl, keep walking. Mm-hmm. She heard it. And now she's an uninvited guest in a home where she's finding value from the only one who really matters. So then I want to look at Jesus' response, which I think this is really cool, and this applies to you and I today. Number one, he went. A Pharisee invited him to his house. Jesus didn't question it. Jesus didn't say, what's your motivation? What you got up your sleeve? Jesus said, okay. And he showed up. What does that tell you? What does that tell me? It tells us this. Jesus was for everyone. He was for everyone. People who have an agenda, Jesus is not shook by their agenda. He knows who he is. You may have approached church. You may have approached a relationship with God. You may have approached Bible study with an agenda trying to prove something wrong. And I want you to know your fears, your concerns, your, your agenda is not too much for God. He can handle you and he's going to show up. He also, he didn't reject her. He didn't push her away or criticize her. He accepted her gift. Don't you know that she understood what rejection felt like? And studying for this story, I hadn't thought about this in probably 25 years. I don't need therapy. I'm going to go ahead and open. I probably do, but not about this, okay? As I was studying this and I was thinking about her and what she dealt with, I remembered something. When I was in second grade and third grade, we lived in the church parsonage. If you know what that is, it's the house on the church property. What that means is everybody in the church can come to your house anytime they want to, and they do. We were very, 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 very poor. And now as kids, we didn't really know we were poor. We lived a great life, but we were very, very poor. And this was the day and time when the friendship necklaces had just come out. There were a heart, and they broke in half. One side said, be fry. The other side said, est ends. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Girls, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, yes. That was equivalent to the newest Louis Vuitton today. Everybody wanted one. It was, and it was gold color. We thought it was real gold. Like if you had one of those, you had the most valuable thing in the world. Not just because you had a gold necklace, which we know was not real gold, but because somebody else had the other side, which meant you had value. Somebody saw you as their best friend. Now, I want you to understand this might be a shock to you. I was a very weird kid. Very weird. My hair was much thicker and much curlier than it is now. It was out of control. The biggest thing on my body was my kneecaps, and I was weird. 
I always had something to say. I had a big imagination. And because they didn't have special classes for special people, they shoved me in with everybody else. And I had this best little friend named April. And she was so cute and sweet and nice. And we had another good friend named Tara. And Tara was also real sweet. And they both had straight hair. And they were real smart. And they liked me. I liked them. I thought everybody liked me. They didn't. I found that out later on in life. That was a little hard. I was like, they weren't all my friends. And at this day at school, I was handed a birthday invitation. It was my first birthday party sleepover I had ever been invited to. I've, I was never been so excited in my life. I was so excited. I get in the car and I'm like, mom, look what I got. Now, I knew that my mom and dad didn't have it to go buy one of those necklaces for me just to go give to a friend. But I got invited to, like, the most important event of the year. And my mom said, well, what do you want to buy her? Well, it's April. She's my best friend. I want to buy her a best friend's necklace. I honestly don't know how my parents came up with the money to do it. You're like, well, what was it, $10? But when you don't have $10, $10 is a lot of money. My mom took me to the mall, and we bought that necklace. I was so excited. I was going to have the best gift there. And so we have this party. We're there. We're having the best time eating stuff we're not supposed to eat. And we're changing our pajamas, and it's time to open gifts, and then we're going to watch a movie. And she opens my present. Everybody lost it. Yeah, because I brought the best gift. But my mom had said, why don't you let her pick which side she wants? I'm like, yeah, I don't care if I'm a beef fry or an Estians. I'm fine with that. So I said, April, you get to pick which side you want first. She said, thank you so much. She picked her side and she handed the other side to Tara. And I'm just standing there and she said, that's okay, right? And I was like, yeah, sure. Second grade, I realized she was my best friend. I just wasn't hers. And the movie started, and I went to the bathroom, and I sobbed my eyes out, bawled my eyes out. Why did I think of that in this? Maybe because that was the most valuable thing I could give. And I can't imagine being that woman coming in and hoping not to be rejected by Jesus, just like everyone else had rejected her. Fun fact, I called my mom and I said, do you remember this? And you know what's funny? Parents, when they, you know, moms will fight for their kids. This is 100 years ago. She got all defensive about it again. That poor little April girl didn't know she did that. Like, my, my mom sends me a text. She said, I, you're not home, but I left something in your mailbox. And I thought there's this antique Christmas tree she's got I've been asking for for years and she won't give it to me. It's this little figurine thing. And I said, if it's that antique tree, I won't tell my sisters that you gave it to me. And I got home and I opened it up and her and my dad went and bought me one of those little necklaces. I was like, you know. <laughs> and it's got diamonds around it, y'all. Diamonds. Watch out, April. You get, get in the other pot. No. <laughs> But what that had to have felt like to step away from the wall and step up to Jesus and hope that he wasn't like everybody else, rejecting the very valuable things she had. What you need to get is these vials, these, these alabaster boxes. They didn't have a cork. 
You couldn't open it up and pour a little bit out and put a cork back in it. You had to break it. And once it was broken, it had to be used up. So it was all or nothing in that moment. He did not reject her gift. He didn't get defensive with Simon. But instead, with compassionate heart, he addressed Simon's heart. Saying, buddy, listen, I know you don't get it. So basically this, two people have debt. They can't afford it. What was he saying? There are two people at this table right now that have sin. Neither one of them have what it takes to pay for it. He was saying, you got to get something. You may think you have it all together, but you're both broken. You're both in need of me as a savior. And then he brought value to her by turning to her in verse 44. He turns and faces her. He invites her into the story. But when he faces her, he talks to Simon. He addresses Simon, but he's looking at her and he says, Simon, in verse 44, do you see this woman? What a weird question. Do you see this woman? What was he asking? Do you see her, Simon? Or do you just see her reputation? Do you see her, Simon? Do you see the one that was created and formed and fashioned in her mother's womb by me? Do you see God's own creation that he loves? Do you, or do you see her as an embarrassing expression of emotion? Do you see her? Because I see her. I know her. I love her. Simon, do you see her? And then he goes on to validate her worship. Even though it made Simon uncomfortable. He calls Simon out. Dude, you didn't do anything you were supposed to do and she had to do it all. And he tells Simon first that her sins are forgiven. Why? He was in Simon's home. Simon's the one that was struggling with it. He's looking at her and he says, Simon, I want you to know, her sins are forgiven. Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have respect for you. This is your house. You're the one with the issue right now. You just need to know. So don't cause a problem. Her sins are forgiven. And then scripture says he turns and faces her and says, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on in verse 50 where we ended. Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace. Free from the distress experienced of sin. How often do we look for our value in the wrong place? When all we really have to do, y'all, is break open the thing that's holding the very essence of who we are from the one who formed and fashioned us in our mother's womb and pour it at his feet. That's where freedom comes from. Here's what I think. I think sometimes what happens is we, we let it crack open a little bit accidentally, a little bit of stuff drips out. And we wonder, we're like, I worship. I come to church every Sunday before I go to ransoms. I've got my thing. I'm part of a life group. I give to Cowboys for Kids. Like we have these things we check off. But the reality is what Jesus is talking about in this story. It's fully broken, fully poured out. Nothing back. I think that's what you got to get. Jesus is an all or nothing thing. God. He's not, he wants all of you. And he, what did he say to her? Your freedom comes from your faith in me. I forgave you of your sins. Y'all got to get this. 
It's not just forgiveness of sins, it's then freedom from what sin has caused. Freedom comes through worship. Forgiveness comes through Jesus. Freedom comes through our worship. The greatest gift that Jesus ever gave us was dying on the cross for our sins. The accepting of that is our greatest privilege. But our greatest gift to him is to spend our life pouring out our worship on him. I want to invite Hayden and Ken up to the stage real quick. And while they're coming up, they're going to sing a song. And I, I want you not to focus on them. I want you to, where you're at, ask yourself these three questions. Number one, where do I fit in the story? Not where does your wife fit in the story? Like, honey, I hope you're listening to this because I hope you're really getting something out of this. And then you need to send it to your mother. (laughs) No. Where do I fit in the story? Number two, do I understand, like really understand what Jesus has done for me? Do I? Because if I do, breaking open everything that I'm trying to hold back because I'm scared of what people might think. I'm scared of rejection or what if, what if, and we have all these what ifs in our mind. No, no, no. If you fully understand what he's done for you, the breaking is so easy. And number three, am I willing to pour it all out? I mean, I've been a woman my whole life. I know that's not, that's not always common in 2023, but... Here's what I know. I've lived in the South my whole life too. And sometimes men think that what makes them men is to be macho. I'm going to tell you something, gentlemen. As a daughter and as a wife, there is nothing more manly than a man who's fully devoted to Jesus, who will pour his life out on the feet of Jesus. Your boys need to see it. Your daughters need to see it. This generation needs to see it. So as they sing, I invite you to ask yourself these questions. Do I know what he's done? Do I understand the gift that he's asking for?
your heads with me all across this room. I'm going to tell you, not even probably your spouse knows the full value because they've not walked through every step of your life, right? Like we have stuff. But Jesus knows. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt. He knows the rejection. He knows the unmet expectations. He knows the dreams that never were fulfilled. He knows the dreams that have never been spoken. And friend, I want to tell you something. As we prepare to go into a week of, for some sadness, some amazingness, crazy, (laughs) gifts aside, Christmas lights aside, family aside, brisket and ham aside. The greatest gift 
that you've ever received. Laid his life down for you. And as we celebrate him, the greatest thing you could do is pour your worship out of his You have to be living under a rock to not know that our world is in chaos. That there's fear and turmoil everywhere you go. There's division in the country. There's division in the state. There's division in the body of Christ. You want to see God heal? You want to see God set you free? You want to see God do what He and only He can do? You got to break. You got to pour it out. You got to hold nothing back because He already sees, He already knows. Here it is, God. I have nothing left to give you. I mean, this is, this is it. And I want to be what you called me to be. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in the manner in which you created and called me to walk. As a mom, as a dad, as a wife, as a husband, as a friend, as a leader, as a business owner, as a contributing member of society. God, I don't want to hold anything back anymore. the greatest thing you can do is to pour it out on Jesus. just want to pray with you. And we have a prayer team that's going to be up here afterwards. We say that every week. We have a prayer team that's going to be up here to pray with you. That if you, if you're like, look, I got to talk through some of this. Don't leave this building. Walk up and talk to them. Let them pray with you. And I promise you this. You find freedom in emptying it out. You walk different. You live different. You sleep better. Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you for the example of worship. God, I thank you that there's people in this room that we've we found ourselves falling under that religious category where we think, well, I've been in church all my life and we justify our sin that we're comfortable in. And we recognize that we need to reevaluate some things in us. There's also people in this room that are standing along the wall, broken and hurting, that have reputations, that have things, that have a past, that have been hurt and rejected, and their fear of you is based off of their experience in life. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that for both types of people and everything in between, you meet us here. You show up. Lord, your word says that you came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. That who the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus, I pray over every man, woman, and child in this room and watching online. And God, I pray that you quicken our hearts to evaluate where we're at. You know what we're holding back. Even if we don't fully know what we're holding back. God, I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just move in our lives, that we would be people that would break open and pour out on your feet and watch you use us to impact the world in which you called us to. For those that have been rejected, for those that are hurting, for those that have passed, that they don't know how to heal from, Jesus, I pray that you move on their behalf right now. Show them how good you are.
Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that says to the rest of the world, do you see them like I see them? Thank you, Jesus, that you see us as what we were created to be, not necessarily what we are. Oh, Lord, we invite you into this. We invite you into the season. As we celebrate you, God, help us individually to break and pour out our worship at your feet. May it be a fragrant offering. Thank you for who you are in your precious name. Amen. Hey, y'all look at me. Man, to be alive in 2023 is pretty cool. Then a world full of brokenness, Jesus would ask you and I to be his representation. Well, how do I do that? Pour it out, baby, pour it out. And watch what he will do in your life. You are loved. We can't wait to see you on Christmas Eve. Please come up here and pray with somebody and you're dismissed. Merry Christmas.